Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Christy, how are you doing? I'm good, Catherine. How are things in your neck of the woods? They are good. I just came back from a very quick 24-hour trip up to see my brother and sister-in-law who are moving from the Nashville area out to uh, the Seattle area. He's in the military and he has to move in the middle of COVID-19 because he has to uh, report for duty. So... Um, so that was a little crazy, but my, we weren't sure when we get to see them again. And, um, the most exciting part is my four-year-old niece is riding her bike without, or without, uh, any training wheels or anything. She's riding a bike. <laughs> she went from the balance bike to the regular bike. She went straight to riding and she's good. Like she's got everything down except for she doesn't know how to use the brakes. <laughs> Well, brakes aren't that important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not at all. But she could do the turns. She uh, learned how to start, like, to, you know, get herself started uh, from a stop. So she still just puts her little feet down. Um, but she's so proud of herself. It's really cute. So this is, this is the, this came from the balance bike that Aunt Catherine got her, right? Yes. So I got her a balance bike for her first birthday. It was a little early, but you could never start too soon. And she started, they put the pedals on, um, about three weeks ago, but she, and she could just go a little ways. But when I was up there, she really wanted to show off for me. So she, she just really got it. Like she was doing the turn. She was just zooming all over the place. It was, it's super cute to see. So awesome. I know. Well, if she comes to, uh, if she gets to come to Dirty Cans and come to Emporia some year, we have, um, some kids clinics that we do at the expo, which are always kind of fun. So they, she can 
work yes. on our skills. She can do that. And she definitely likes to wear her unicorn dress when she <laughs> rides. Heck yeah. <laughs> so she can do it. Does she unicorn. have any, does she have any streamers on her handlebars or anything? We need to she definitely needs those. Yeah. I need, I need yeah. to pimp out her bike for sure. But, funny. Yeah. Idea. What have you been up to? Well, um, you know, we're going to have our, our podcast listeners are going to get to hear a little bit from an interview that we did with Heidi Rents. And I'm, I'm down in Patagonia, Arizona right now. We bought a, um, investment property in Patagonia back in February and it has a main house and a guest house. And so we're working on some things to kind of provide some experiences for cyclists, um, down in Patagonia. So that's what I've been down here working on the guest house, working on the yard, um, riding bikes, but also a lot of work. And, um, I'm telling you, we've got the system dialed at this point. We go to home Depot like twice a week and you don't have to get out of the car. Like they bring it all out to you and, um, all their COVID-19 precautions have been pretty amazing. So it's been a process, but, um, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to have you come and see, check this place out. I know. And I've been actually watching some uh, videos that a triathlete, Heather Jackson, has been posting about Patagonia, Arizona, and the gravel riding there looks amazing. It's really amazing. It's, uh, I mean, it can be technical. There's some, there's some routes that take you out and get you into some pretty technical terrain fairly quickly where I've wished I've had my mountain bike. Um, But those just, I think they just help your handling skills, but there's also tame gravel and, and getting over, dropping over into the San Rafael Valley is, is phenomenal. It's just, it's so beautiful. It's so desolate. It's so remote. Um, so we've gotten to do lots of great gravel riding down here and I'm really excited to showcase this property and, um, bring people down here to yeah. check it out. I'll, I'll be, uh, your guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my mask ready to travel. <laughs> I know the mask and rubber gloves, but uh, yeah, we'd have to have a girls gone gravel retreat down here. It'll be fun. You, you all heard it first. Girls gone gravel retreat <laughs> in Patagonia. It's happening. Right. Twenty twenty one or 2022, whenever. The 2021, 2022. Yeah. <laughs> whenever it's, whenever it's gone. Um, uh, well, uh, we have a really fun interview this week that we actually did about a month ago, but we held mm-hmm. because something very special was coming out and we didn't realize it was going to fit so well with our interview with Amity. Um, and yeah. this is another friend of yours <laughs> that we're interviewing <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> so do you want to tell everybody a little bit more about Betsy? We do have a friend well, of mine uh, coming on soon. Yes, we do. And I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, Betsy Welch is our guest for today. She writes for Velo News and she's, um, full-time female reporter on their staff now. And um, they just dropped an issue specific to women that um, was pretty great to see. And Betsy led the charge on that. And so um, that's who we've got on today's show. Yeah. I think maybe one day we need to get a conversation with Amity and Betsy. They would have some. Oh, I was texting both of them on that on that interview, like (laughs) texting Betsy, like, Hey, get in touch with Amity. This, This is good. Good stuff. So if you haven't listened to the uh, episode with Amity, you want to listen to it either right before this one or right after this one, because it'll give you some really like kind of both sides of uh, just the media and the story and how, um, what it's like to work on building the women's uh, network in the media. So anyway. Agreed. Yeah. Well, we will go ahead and get on to our interview with Betsy Welch. Well, we've got our 
episode coming up today. And um, I'm really excited by our guest. Uh, we've got Betsy Welch joining us from Velo News. Betsy's become a fast and furious friend. Three F's there, the FFF. Um, just over the last year or so, getting to know her more and more through um, riding gravel and uh, working hard to get more women on gravel. So we're excited to have you, Betsy. Yeah, can't wait to chat with you ladies. <laughs> well, Betsy, why don't you start off telling us a little bit more about your story, how you got here because you were a nurse, so you've kind of the cycling path. Yeah, tell us all the things. <laughs> All the things. Um, well, I guess gotten here, I think what you're alluding to is I'm a senior editor at Vela News. And um, I have been a writer for as long as I can remember, but um, had never been a full-time journalist until recently. I've been um, a lot of things, I guess, in life, uh, like most of us. Um, and most recently, like you mentioned, I was involved in public health nursing for the last 10 years, but have always been freelancing on the side um, in the sort of like outdoor and recreation spaces. Um, and my sort of, I guess, relationship with Velo News really started at about the same time that I developed a relationship with gravel racing, which wasn't that long ago. It was really just last summer that I um started dipping my toe into the gravel racing scene. And um, and yeah, Velo News um, historically, you know, has covered a lot of professional road cycling. And in the past few years, they've really um, sort of expanded their coverage to more mountain biking and dirt and participatory cycling. So not just professional racing. Um, and so they, are just, they were super excited to cover more gravel and I was this woman doing gravel. Um, so it was a nice fit at the time. I just want to like, how did you get into cycling? Like, did you just get into gravel? Were you doing other types of cycling before that? No, I mean, well, yes, I guess. To be honest, I discovered bikes just because I think I was kind of like, I don't know, I have this personality type where I get kind of bored easily. Or maybe the better way to say it is that I get really curious easily. So um, I, you know, since my teens, I just started hopping on a bike to like explore and have my own little adventures. Um, and I moved, when I moved to Colorado, of course, you know, in my, right after college, um, you can be a casual cyclist. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the miles go from a 10 mile ride to like a hundred mile ride pretty quickly. So I just, I just, it was really organic, my relationship with bikes. And it was mostly me on hand-me-downs or Franken-bikes that, you know, my boyfriend put together and um, just started going out longer and farther and just like falling in love with the adventure. I, it was always an adventure. And, uh, and one thing leads to another, then you're going bikepacking and then someone like, a boyfriend says you should do this race and so then I'm racing all of a sudden um but but the love of bikes is really the it's always there for me always has been is it similar to your love for writing because I'm curious about how you became a reporter from from all of that <laughs> yeah again like curiosity like what 
what can I discover or what story is out there? I mean, you know, on a bike ride, you, you can go out thinking about one thing and then you you're out on a ride and I don't know, you stop in a little country store and you start chatting with a clerk and like, Hey, there's your bike ride. There's, there's your, your adventure for the day. Um, and journalism is, is the same. You start out with sort of a, just like a question or, or some curiosity and you follow your nose and, and there's always a story. And I even found that with nursing too, like, again, like, sure, I could be talking to a patient about, I don't know, diabetes, but, but then you start asking the questions and all of a sudden you're learning about, you know, I don't know, their grandmother's cooking in Oaxaca, Mexico. So I think like the sense of curiosity, the desire for an adventure and the desire to just learn from people. Um, there's a lot of parallels um, between journalism and, and writing. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, one of the things that we talk about with Girls Gone Gravel is uh, we want to be a place, a community where women can chase their adventures, whether that's an epic adventure, like a big bikepacking trip or um, a big race, or whether it's just an everyday adventure. Do you have some favorite adventures or maybe one or two that you would share from your cycling experience? Oh my God, that that's like what's your favorite song that's so tough. I know I know just one that comes to mind <laughs> um uh, I mean I'll just go big because why not but uh a couple of years ago went to Cuba and found again this is like this is how writing and reporting stories works is oftentimes the idea come from reading someone else's article so I'd read something about Cuba and someone had mentioned this all women's bike shop in Havana. And so I was like, I gotta go there. Like, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna rent bikes from this woman. So I did and rented these um, pretty pretty basic rudimentary bikes, rode around Cuba for a week, stayed with families, just had a phenomenal experience talking and listening and being totally disconnected from the internet and the rest of the world for a week. Um, really powerful on a ton of different levels. Um, so that was a big one. But, you know, I, I just, even if I go on like a 50 mile ride here around Boulder, it's like, there's always something that happens. You know, it's like either you see something amazing in the natural world or I don't know, I do a lot of writing while I'm riding. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys experience that too. Like the creative juices just start flowing when you're moving out there. What do you think? I mean, you're talking about these big adventures like that. I'm, I'm curious what you find intimidating or if you find things intimidating in those and how you overcome some of those things that you may, may seem intimidating as you're going in. Yeah. I actually just wrote something about this. Um, around like intimidation and hurdles and barriers to getting on a bike. And I realized that so much of what's intimidating are like the stories that I tell myself. Like, you know, in the beginning it was like your bike, you don't have like a very good bike or everyone else is wearing these like matching shirt and spandex. Like, why don't you have that? They must all be pro. And, you know, come to find out, like, wearing a kit doesn't mean you're pro at all. But that was the story I told myself. So 
Um, I, I found that asking questions is like the greatest um, uh, the greatest tool that that you can arm yourself with is is reaching out to I mean to anyone from like a bike shop person to a friend who you know cycles or um, people love helping like people love to feel needed and they love to answer questions so um, it, it it benefits you and the person and and, um, and you know that's a really good antidote to like telling yourself no before you've even tried to, to find something out. Um, yeah. That's funny because I was writing, uh, I've been writing in the city a lot lately because of, uh, the current situation. And I was writing back and saw some friends out that just started writing because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> they were like, is that a, is that a special cycling suit that you have on? <laughs> Cause I had on my kit. I was like, yes, yes, it is a special cycling <laughs> suit that I have on. It makes you really fast. <laughs> so it is, it's just funny, like, when you, you forget after you've had some of the gear for a while, like, it is unusual to most people to see somebody ride, like, in a cycling kit, you know, or something like that. Yeah, and Christy and I have talked about this in various conversations, too, that, you know, we were, we were those people I mean I don't know if Christy was that person but I think she was where like we started out as sort of total noobs right like I I didn't know anything about bikes I was on hand-me-down bikes I didn't know what a kit was um and when you get sort of years beyond that it's easy to forget that Mm. there's people out there that that are that are a beginner just like you were and I think um a lot of I might be jumping the gun here but a lot of um people involved in gravel, you know, race promoters are, are trying to get, are trying to not forget about those people, you know, like there are a of, of women that are, are pretty badass in gravel right now. And, and I have to cover those stories, you know, I cover the, the pointy end of the pack, but that's a very, very small portion of who's racing gravel right now. So I'm thankful that there's a, um, a focus on getting people into the sport, not just the people that are already into the sport. You, you made an interesting transition there that I'm curious about reporting on the pointy end of the pack. (laughs) How, like, what does that look and feel like? Um, What can you, what are you bringing to the table that maybe makes the conversation just a bit, a bit different and a bit, a bit deeper? Well, you know, I'm always curious about the backstory, you know, the biography, the history behind a bike racer. And if there's any way that I can bring that to, you know, the race report, I, I just find it so much more meaningful. And to be honest, <laughs> I don't want to say that men don't have interesting stories, but holy shit, when you dig into some of these women um, racers' backgrounds, I mean, I joked with our editorial team, I was like, you guys, if pro cycling doesn't come back from the pandemic, the women are going to be fine because, like, they're all PhDs. (laughs) They're all (laughs) teachers and engineers and, like, sorry. (laughs) Um, But anyway, yeah, I think also, too, like, 
being someone who didn't come from a pro background, I approach it really like really open, like, hey, tell me about your race. Like, what tactic did you use? And what does that tactic even like mean? You know, um, I don't know. Beginner mind. I, I really, I really uh, appreciate that. That part of my background is that I'm, I'm still there to learn. Like, I'm not going to tell you how the race was won. You tell me how it was won. That's awesome. Tell us, walk us through what that looks like when you're sent to a race to cover the race. Um, what do you do? What is your day like? Uh, or the lead up to it? Just kind of give us the inside of Betsy the reporter. What is she doing? <laughs> or journalist? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. And I'll give you an example. Last October, I went to Bentonville to cover the Epic Rides um, mountain bike race. And I mean, to be totally frank with you, it's it's stressful because a lot of times I have to do the race as well. Um, so it's like, okay, like I need to get my shit together <laughs> and do this race. Um, and then the next day I need to sort of be there for the pros. So the Epic Rides are cool because the amateur race is on the Saturday and the pro race on the Sunday. Um so I had done the amateur race and sort of written up my own personal race report. And then Sunday got in the media truck and rode around with some photo photographers and just sort of, you know, you, you really have to be um, on, right? So like no phone, no text messages, no Instagram, <laughs> like nothing to distract you from the action at hand. And then afterwards you are right there and you are, um, you're, getting in these people's faces when like, you know, they're still like gasping for air crossing the finish line. And, and that's something that I'm still learning. That's something that I was not very comfortable with the first few times I did it at all. Cause I'm, I'm sort of like the, I, I like, okay, let me, let me let her take a breath or a breather and, and just, I don't want to bother. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that. Like, I don't want to be annoying. Um, but it's, it's, it gets easier with time. And it's also, um, I've had a lot of good, you know, advice from my colleagues. That's just like, this is what these people do. They're bike racers. And being a bike racer is, is talking to reporters and, and telling, and telling us like what happened out there. So, but it, it definitely is a, I think it's a skill and it's one that I'm certainly working on, which is being, feeling okay with asking people for, for their time, even when it's, kind of uncomfortable. Is there any, like you talking about that, I'm thinking um, about the competition, right? Obviously you need to get in, in front of their face because your competition's doing it. <laughs> you, know, the, you have to do it too, right? Like, so yeah. what is that? I think, you know, you and I both have kind of talked about the competitive side of all of this. Um, how does that translate, you know, both in the interview and then on the bike when you're racing? Ugh. You you race now. So. I, know, I know, and it's so weird because I don't, I mean, I say I'm not competitive and that I don't like competition, but you're totally right. There's competition around around getting a story or getting an interview. I mean, it's it's gut-wrenching when I, I have an idea for a story and then I, you know, open up the web browser and it's like, oh my God, somebody else already wrote it. Um, and it's going to happen. And, um, but 
I think when when you're really like focused on everyone can tell the same story they're going to tell it the different a different way right and so I think that my experience is always going to lend me a different perspective um so that's good to keep in mind in terms of competition on the bike uh <laughs> I don't know I mean that's I don't know if we want to go there but um I'm 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 decent enough but I'm not in the front and I've got my own talk with myself but uh during races but um I don't know it's been cool I I didn't really ever think I'd like bike races but I really really do um I really like like putting myself out there and and uh, giving myself goals. But more than that, it's like the event itself. I mean, the gravel events have become like mini family reunions. And that's the that's the truth of it. The races are fun, but like the whole weekend is is way more fun. That's cool. Kind of staying on that uh, whole uh, journalism side of things. Has there been a story or an idea that you pitched that you really wanted to tell and it didn't get accepted? And how did you handle that? That happens all the time. Um, it happened a ton when I was freelancing. And it, it happens especially when you are pitching to an outlet where you don't necess- where you don't know anyone. Like you don't have a contact. You're sending it to an email address that you really don't know who's going to open that email. Um, but conversely, the coolest experiences are when I've pitched a story that I thought was really interesting. And an editor came back and said, okay, how about you approach it from this angle? Um, you know, one of my first big stories is I, I had heard about this couple that was creating this bikepacking route through Baja, Mexico. And I was like, oh my God, not only is that cool, but I want to go there and like, check it out and write about it. And, um, you know, this, the couple, um, one of whom was Lael Wilcox, who, you know, has become like more of a household name now, but I pitched the story to Bike Magazine, just like about the route. I thought that was the story that, you know, was this cool bikepacking route. And they came back to me and they're like, but what about her? Um, You know, they, she, she had already attempted the tour divide and stuff like that. And so, um, I said, okay, fine. Again, remember, I just wanted to go to Baja and bikepack. I didn't really <laughs> care what, I, what story came out of it. Um, so that kind of thing happens, and that's really cool. Um, and at, at Velo News Now, you know, same thing. A lot of times I'll have an idea, and that's the really cool thing that's – that's what's been really cool for me is that now I'm, like, in a newsroom with people – and I can pitch something and, you know, in real time, they, they can bounce off, bounce back off of me. Like you've grown onto something, but that's not quite the story. Why don't you take it this direction? Love that process. God, that'd be fun to have a team of people around you helping push you in that creative direction. Like that's awesome. Totally. Yeah. And as a freelancer, it was, it's just, I mean, everyone's getting a taste of it. It's just you and your computer in your den by yourself. It's it's really cool to have the energy around you. Um, and then the other thing too is like, 
you know, you know this if you've read someone else's, if someone sends you something, they're like, hey, can you look this over? Um, you're going to, you're going to see things that, that they don't. Like when I'm working on a story and I've spent 20 hours and I, you know, by the end, I'm just like, get away from me. Um, I, I could send that to you, Christy, and you'd have like a totally different set of eyes. Um, so that it's, it's fun. It's a fun process. Well, I wanted to, uh, definitely take some time to ask you about women's coverage in cycling and kind of get some insight into it. So there was a few weeks ago, kind of on Instagram, uh, there was an, an event, a big gravel event, and a lot of criticism came out uh, because out of the event's Instagram page for nine hours, there was a lot of really fantastic coverage of the men and none of the women. And there were a lot of circumstances going on, but there were some women that were very frustrated. So I just kind of wanted to get some insight into what's happening with women's coverage. Um, you know, I know our sister... Uh, podcast iron women podcast like they've had a lot of experiences around the way coverage has been done within triathlon and the difference between men and women so just give us your thoughts or insights oh yeah of worms i'm over yeah. worms no it's, it's, this is great and like the more we talk about this stuff the better um and it's hard for me not to like go you know, deep, deep into history when we talk about, quote, women's things, right? Because this is so, like, this is so the story of, of, um, I don't know, women <laughs> for millennia. <laughs> uh, but I think that it's, we're still, like, having to undo many, many years of, First of all, women not participating in, we'll just use like cycling as our example, but um, we could apply this to sport too in general, but you know, it's women have been doing this in smaller numbers for less time. And so I think that the coverage of women in cycling, like just reflected for a long time, it just kind of reflected the amount of women doing it. And that was a lot less. And, um, you know, even though women are participating way more and there's a really robust community of women in racing, it's like, it, it's almost like it's like surprised everyone. So it's like, oh, okay, we, shit, we gotta, we gotta cover this. And you know, I, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt, like the the event in question <laughs> that you mentioned. Um, I'm not sure that there was any malintent with mm -hmm. the sort of, um, I don't think anyone forgot to cover the women's race or didn't think there was a women's race. Um, there was just a men's race ahead of it. And, um, you know, again, there was a lot going on and I'm going to attest to that because I was there as a reporter and a racer and a nurse. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't there as a nurse, but you know, I am a nurse. So there was like a lot going on. So I just, I want to make sure we're gracious with everyone, but um, yeah, I think we have to keep calling people on this stuff and just reminding them like, 
you know, I, I kind of doubt that I think women are worth covering. It's just like, it's still not in everybody's, um, it's not a habit, I guess. And that's part of what, I mean, I am so committed to, to doing that more at Velo News and, and bringing that more to people's attention if it's getting missed. Um, I want people to bring it to my attention because, you know, I feel uh, my own sense of guilt when stuff like that happens. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the more we can talk about it, I think, again, like, we got to try and give people the benefit of the doubt and just constructively have conversations about this stuff. Um, as we know, change doesn't ever happen overnight. And um, we're trying to undo, like I said, what years and years of this dearth of coverage of women's sports in general. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. And I don't, I didn't ever even sense what I sensed it was, was just like, somebody didn't think about the fact that like the men's race is going to be ahead of the women, which means for nine hours, the men's race will be covered and the women's won't, unless we maybe take two cars. Right. You know, like, so it's just things like that where you're right. The more we bring it up and go, actually, this does matter to women and it mm -hmm. does matter to people. The more that people will go, maybe we should take two cars or things like that. Again, I wasn't there, but um, I think, I think, it, I think so much of it, comes down to and I hope it's one I mean this is going is ongoing but I think just that that concept of grace like you know I guarantee you that those event promoters had every intention of covering both races equally and all things considered um there would have been the opportunity for vehicles to double back and for all, all of that stuff to happen but it it couldn't because of conditions and down the wayside because other conditions that were going on with COVID that were related, you know, also made it difficult because they were just dealing with a lot. And um, yeah, I'm, of course, all about getting more women on bikes. Um, and I'm, I'm, of course, about trying to get that sort of equal coverage and whatnot. But I do think when we make a mistake, I'm, I agree, we need to hold people accountable, but then, but then let them learn from the process and just don't keep dragging them in. <laughs> into the fire, which is like a lot of what you see on social. And I know that that's kind of what happens, but it, it's, it's frustrating as a promoter that people aren't doing the very best they can, then you don't know those people, obviously. So that's yeah, a whole other show well, probably. Well, <laughs> but. But it's, it is, but also like there's so much good that's also mm -hmm. happening in coverage of women and cycling and women in gravel and, and I just, sometimes I feel like social media is this stage that like, I don't know, sometimes it feels like the only stage people are watching and mm -hmm. it's not. I mean, we we did um, a really awesome project with Amanda Nauman at the Mid-South. I mean, we chose, we chose a female to like document her experience and tell her story and, um, you know, I wrote about the Mid-South and I just, I hope people are being like discerning with, with what, with, with what they're consuming. And, um, <laughs> that's a larger issue, <laughs> but in terms of bike racing, like there's tons of cool coverage out there, not just that I'm writing, but plenty of other people are writing and there's plenty of cool things that race promoters, 
are doing um, in terms of women's participation and telling women's stories. So um, let's make sure that we're we're seeking out the positive information instead of just shining light on the the negative. Yep. Yeah. I think the big thing for me and all that, and I completely agree, um, is it also just showed one of the things I hear and we see is people say people don't care about women's coverage. And that showed like, well, actually they do. (laughs) Uh, And that's not just within cycling. Like you see that, like some Mm -hmm. guy had made a joke about when the WNBA was canceled, like, oh, they'll be playing to nobody, just like they always are. Or no, it was the NCAA women's basketball tournament. They'll be playing for nobody, just like they always are. You know, so there's an assumption that people aren't interested in women's coverage by not everyone, but by a number of people. And so I think, like, it is good to see one of the values coming out of that social conversation is, yes, there is actually a strong interest in seeing it live, seeing it equally covered. That's a good point. Yeah, I I just have to say, like, personally, I mean, I wasn't really interested in watching any, like, bike racing, like, the tour or something like that. But when I started watching the Women's Mountain Bike World Cups last summer and, like, getting really into it myself and then talking about it with other people, I, I mean, I found that I think a lot of people find women's racing, honestly, more exciting than men sometimes. Um, at least in terms of like professional road racing or professional cross country racing. Cause it's, it's a lot dynamic. Like it, there's, there's not just like three amazing women, there's like 30 and any of them can win at any time. And, and shorter races are sometimes easier to watch. And so there's, there's actually, I think you're right, Catherine, people are really interested in, in women's racing. Um, we just have to, keep putting out, you know, we just have to keep covering it and keep telling these awesome stories around it. Yeah. And as you mentioned, there are lots of awesome stories out there. Well, um, I would also be interested on the journalism side of things. So Velo News and a lot of the cycling um, uh, publications primarily cover race seasons. And that is not happening right now, unless you're racing on Zwift. So how have you all pivoted? Like, what are some things you're doing to keep your audience engaged and informed? And tell us what life is like now. Amazingly, we we haven't had a lack of um, of content to put up, which is which is really cool, which goes to show just how deep, deep the sport is. Um, But, you know, we've we've certainly been doing a bit of how how pro cyclists are um, are doing during this time. We've been doing this cool series called Day in the Life where we call up um, various cyclists and ask them like, you know, what's it like? Where do you live? What's it like where you live? What are you doing? Are you motivated? Are you training? Um, and and the conversations have been really fascinating. A lot of um, a lot of cyclists are are admitting motiv- motivations at a low. It's hard to train when you're uh, when you don't know what you're training for and also just it it really it really um it's really showed like the humanity of uh of people including pro cyclists like people just don't have it in them to go hard right now um and I think that's been cool to share with people um we have 
some really great gear and tech editors at the magazine. So they've been churning out reviews of products. Um, I've been doing a little bit of um, coverage on explaining things like, should I wear a mask while cycling? You know, sort of trying to keep pace with the current climate on like what it means to be just a recreational cyclist during this time and like, how can you stay safe and what should you be doing? Um, but the coolest thing and the most relevant to our conversation is that our next, um, our June print issue is the women's issue. So we've all been pretty deep in writing content for our print magazine, um, which will be coming out in, in May. So um, yeah, there's, there's plenty to talk about. And um, it's, it's great because everyone has time. So it's really easy to get in touch with athletes and race promoters like Chris Moan and other important people. No, I've been like, this is a perfect time to start a podcast. Everybody has time to talk. <laughs> and everyone's mastering Zoom and Google Hangouts and all the stuff. I, I did not have Skype set up on this computer yet. So it was a, uh, this was yeah. a fun for today. So, yeah. Um, Bessie, it's been so fun to have you in the hot seat for a little change of pace here. <laughs> Every time I get a text or a call from Betsy, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. On or off the record. On or off. On or off. Yes. Sometimes it has to be off because we all need um, like-minded folk to talk through the craziness of COVID and gravel cycling and getting yeah. more, women, more women on bikes. Um, but I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Um, you've been, it's been so fun to watch um, your career go from A to B and seeing you really elevate the voice of women, um, through Velo News and even your coverage of, you know, the journey person athletes have been super inspiring and the grassroots gravel. Anyway, I'm a fan of Betsy Welch, if you can't tell. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Um, anytime it's so fun to chat and tell stories and, and especially about women on bikes. Well, we will for sure be looking for that May issue of uh, Women. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, ladies. Take care. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listing platform. Our producer is Taylor Mayhem Rudolph. You can follow us on all the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com. 